Today we're going to be talking about partnership. We've been looking at the Church of Philippi, a community of joy and generosity. Uh, Johnny did such an amazing job. How many of you are here or watched it on, on uh, the archive? Johnny did an amazing job of laying out who the Philippian church was. And uh, Don Terseff is real happy to, uh, about the Philippian church because that's from, uh, huh, Donnie? Yeah. Because they were, the uh, Philippi was in, in Macedon and, and that's uh, Bulgaria, northern, northern Greece and Bulgaria are just neighbors. And so that whole region up there in Philippi was uh, where Philip the Great, that's what Philippi was named after, Philip the Great who had a, a son named Alexander the Great. We've heard of him. He conquered. They just, I think it was around 60,000 troops and they swept into Turkey then up into Iran and Iraq and just smoked the, uh, the Persian Empire. And, and so this hardy group of people that were world conquerors were from this northern uh, Greece area of Macedonia. Or, and I think it's today it's called Macedon. And, uh, and so they, they were a hardy group of people. They were rich in the essential values and they weren't rich in money. Now, I believe that God does wonders to change our financial picture. So, so someone might look at me and say, you're one of those uh, health and wealth preachers. Well, not, not exactly. But I believe that, that primarily people are to be healthy. And primarily, I think people are to be able to engage in their trade and be frugal and save and invest. And, and at times, God allows certain businesses to take off like a scalded dog and people prosper. But there's also a realm of prosperity that the Philippian church faced, and that was prosperity when it's not coming through cash, but it comes through an attitude, and it comes through values which are greater than just the pursuit or retention of money. Say this with me. There are values that are greater than cash. The retention or acquisition thereof. You see, because if you live only for money and you die, it's all gone. If you live for Jesus and you win souls and you encourage people and you put values in your kids, when you die, you're still winning the game because you go to the Lord and there's investment you put into heavenly places, the heavenly bank, which won't go bust. But if you're only living to have that little bumper sticker on the back of your sports car that says, he that dies with the most toys wins, you're really an American and you don't understand kingdom value. So Paul in this, he begins to address the Philippians affirming that they were literally partners with him in the gospel. They were partners in not only receiving the good news, many people like to receive the good news of the gospel, but that's where it stops. My name is Jimmy, I'll take all you give me. I'll take the healing, I'll take the, I'll take the blessing on my finances, I'll take the better family, I'll take the better communication skills, because that all pays me. But I'm not going to give a dime to see an ant eat a bale of hay to cross over my comfort zone and what's really good for me and say, whoa, I'm going to go into danger. I'm going to risk what I have. I'm going to give away even out of my poverty to a, to a means that looks like I'm even impoverishing myself more because I want the next guy. 
to know that Jesus saves, that Jesus is a deliverer. It's not enough that I got delivered. It's not enough that I got healed. It's not enough that I have a great wife and a great family. Somebody else needs to get to know about this, and that's the gospel. The gospel is good news, but it's not good news to the person that doesn't hear it. The gospel's only good news to those who can hear it. And that's why Paul said, you guys, you're like my homeboys. You guys are my partners. You get it. Johnny did a great job of talking about, Paul writes this from one of his imprisonments in Rome. They, they say there was possibly two imprisonments in Rome and that when, when we hear when he was going to go before Caesar, uh, some scholars believe that he was released there and was ministering in Rome and rearrested at which time he died. Some people say it was during the early time, but he was in prison, or maybe it was just before he died, that, that he wrote this letter to them. Because, see, Paul wasn't hung up about, about trying to store up for himself on this earth when he knew this is only the practice life. If this was the real one, we'd live a lot longer than 80 or 90 years. How many of you know this has got to be the warm-up because eternity we're going to live in heaven or we're going to be, you know, destroyed in hell? Hello? How many of you know that heaven or hell are a lot longer than 90 years? And so, so Paul was storing up treasure in heaven, and he had found some partners in that endeavor. And so in, in, in chapter 1, which I'm going to be digging into, we see that there are three basic things that we can look at as an, an outline. There's one is the gospel mission that Paul was on, and the, the Philippians were... Uh, embracing that same call and they were partners with him in the mission of getting the gospel out. The second thing in this outline would be the gospel sacrifice. What it costs to actually live for the gospel as opposed to just living for yourself. This journey that he, that he was on and that the, Phil, the Philippians were experiencing. The third thing is gospel living. The way that you live when you live for the gospel, it's a little different than just taking the benefit, being quiet, never talk to anybody in your apartment complex, never talk to anybody at work, never risk rejection. I just don't, I'm just afraid people reject me. Hello, hello, do you know what the Bible says? The Bible said that they're more inclined to reject you because they're in darkness, they're dead in their sins and in trespasses. Someone's gotta get rejected so that they can go, after rejecting you, they can go home and think about it and finally come to Jesus group of young guys trying to front me. I told them, I said, you know what? Yes, I believe this. And I told them, and so will you someday. You may not believe it today, but you're going to believe it someday. The Bible said there's going to come a day when every knee and every tongue. I've been mocked. Paul was mocked. I've been rejected. I've street preached. I've went door to door. And there's a number of ways. Friendship evangelism and is, is one of my favorite. But I will tell you this, that you will find people that will say yes to the gospel and will walk away sometimes. And you have to determine, am I a covenant Christian or am I a convenient Christian? Right now it's just convenient. And Paul said, you guys are partners. You've embraced the mission. You've embraced the sacrifice. You've embraced the, the gospel living. And Paul and the Philippians walked in it. Looking from the uh, English Standard Version, ESV, uh, Philippians chapter 1. Let's read some scriptures. And once again, I do apologize 
Um, I make my own homemade soap. It's made with uh, olive oil, and, uh, and, uh, and I wash my own mouth out for being bad today. <laughs> Quoting the heathen. Okay. Anybody want to give me like a courtesy laugh? That's kind of an attempt at humor. <laughs> but I am sorry. Okay. Okay, let me get back to work now that I'm dealing with my guilty conscience. Okay. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hit me with that blessing every day. Pray, when you pray for me, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, for you all making my prayer with joy. In other words, Paul was saying, because you're so locked in, my prayer is kind of a joyful prayer. Lord, thank you for the Philippians. Lord, sick them, Holy Spirit. Expand what they're doing. Give them energy to keep it up. Not like his prayer for the Corinthians. Oh God, they're full of schisms. They've got immorality that even the heathen are blushing at. They're, they're, they're getting drunk at their communion table. How do you know the Corinthian uh, church had, had gifts of the Spirit, but they were a wreck. They were dysfunctional. They need to be man-slapped. The Philippians, you never see any kind of correction. But Lord, thank you for who they are and the good work that you're doing. Verse 5, here's the reason that they didn't need a ton of adjustment. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now today, we live in, a, in an age of extreme hyperbole. You're, you're my BFF. You're my best friend forever. Really? You had another BFF three months ago, and you're looking, I'll be out of your BFF zone, and you know, unfriend me on Facebook. Uh, you know, how do you know that we, we say stuff like, you know, I really am going to love you? How many think it would be great to go to a wedding and, and see that couple look each other in the eye and they say, till death do us part, and, and, and see that there's contemplation and they really mean it? I've heard people say, well, yeah, until the death of, the, uh, of, of what I feel, the death of my emotion, no. A vow is supposed to be something really serious, and Paul wouldn't use words like partnership lightly and glibly. He said, hey, you've been partakers because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, which meant that from the time that he had his back ripped open and was, got the, the Philippian jailer saved, that these people were completely partnering in everything. They, they, they got their heart in it. They were, they were preaching the gospel. They were supporting. Lydia brings uh, Paul and his company into her house. So they had housing. They had food. And there was a generous spirit on the Philippian church. Now, which is really interesting because it was the first church ever formed in Europe. And the European church spread through Europe and then went to Australia, New Zealand, United States, Canada. And did you know that we, we from the European churches are the most generous in spreading the gospel of all churches around the world? Now, now we have a rival, and that is Singapore. Singapore is going crazy in their missions giving. But again, the Singapore church is, was, was an offshoot because of English, British missionaries and stuff that went in there and gave the gospel. It's funny, it's like how you roll to start's kind of the way you're going to roll until you get a better idea. How many of you know we come to church so we can roll in a new way, we can roll in a God way? 
And Paul was saying to these guys, he said, man, from the very first day, your partnership in the gospel uh, was intense. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How many of you pray that over yourself? Whenever I'm discouraged, I go right back here to Philippians 1.6. He that's begun a good work in me will, will uh, complete it. You're going to complete the work. Lord, I'm a pastor. I feel I'm on an island sometimes. I feel... Lord, that I'm not going to see through. And then I come back to Philippians 1.6. No, God doesn't start a project he doesn't intend on finishing. He's doing a work in us. He's doing a work in us to see that the gospel goes out to our city, to our region. Incidentally, there was one stat we didn't, uh, we didn't put up there in the stats. First of all, 217 would be a very humble and probably not accurate number of people saved. Okay? We, 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 we get a lot more saved, but we're trying to not just blow hard. But one thing I can honestly tell you is that we've sent out, 10% of our church got sent out last year to help plant. About 40 went to help plant up in Grants Pass. Uh, a couple families, different people have transferred up to help Jake and Bethany up in, in uh, Joy Church, Eugene. So uh, roughly around 50 people out of a church of 400. How many of you know we're putting our money where our mouth is? Now, now, can I be honest with you? It, it, it's always groovy when you're, we're going to send and plant churches. Then when you actually pay for it, this sucks. <laughs> Temporarily. Giving always costs you up front. But, but then what happens back door? See, the Lord's causing our ranks to fill up and we're going to fill up with numbers. And then, then that's not to mention your usual shrinkage. They say that an average church has to have 20% growth just to stay alive. And so you've got the people that transfer out and things change and their situation changes. And, and then sometimes it's just that, you know, you hear the pastor cuss in church and you determine it's not where I want to go <laughs> or something, you know. But God is, God is causing our participation to be effective. And so that church planting thing is, is, a, is a thing. And we send people uh, like to Jamie, you know, we send people to help down there. Let me move on. And so we see here that Paul brings up this partnership. He uh, also brings it up in verse 7. He said, for, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He talks about how he yearns for them with the affection of Jesus Christ and his prayer that their love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that they would be able to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul was rejoicing that the Philippians were and had been gospel partners with him. That gospel partnership was the glue that held their relationship together. Um, this last year, just talking about some partners that I had to say goodbye to, it, it was a personally really difficult time to say goodbye to people that I really loved and we really love. Uh, the first family that, that threw all in and stood before Kim and I and, and pledged to spend 10 years, if no one else came, to plant this church was Jim and Sharon Hall, my, my sister who passed away um, a, year, a little over a year ago. So there was a partner. We lost a partner. My sisters and nieces are here and, and, and brother-in-law. And so we personally lost a family member. And then, then there was Dan Doddington who had been just... 
just so faithful, Dan and Barb and their kids, and here for 20, about 25 years, and Dan passes away. He's on a couch, and they just find it. He passed away peacefully. But still, that's a partner. That was a guy that, that we lost. Jamie had a profile picture of when Jerry contracted cancer. And, 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 and uh, I was in India and, and Dubai and got the word he was starting to fail, so I knew that I needed to get off the plane from India and get home and then fly to La Paz. So Pete and I went down, Pete Miller and I went down, and for about a week I put my hand and I prayed. Because Jerry had taken a turn and, and I sang over Jerry. And I prayed, oh God. The day before... December 31st, one of our sisters in the church came to me. She said, I saw Jerry dancing in white. And I knew that Dad had spoken. That heaven was taking my friend. Jamie had taken a picture of my hand over Jerry's, and she put it as her profile picture for a while. She said, Pastor Steve, when I think of a relationship with Jerry, it's that hand. That was the Philippians and Paul and David Douglas, Josiah's dad and Esther's husband. And I don't know if you knew David, but David was just a quiet giant. He was just steady, loving kids, working in children's work, serving the church. He'd be fixing things. And let me tell you something, that's a little different than the person that comes through and one time visit, whoa, joy rocks, hey, high five, man, we're all in. Usually if someone yells they're all in, I know that I won't see them again. Because sometimes it's that, per that person that just says, I don't know yet, but what can I do to help? And suddenly you find out that in the battle, you're side to side. And Paul and these guys, they, were, they knew what suffering was. They knew how to, how to work under duress. These, this was a heart of champions that God had captured. And they understood. We saw this old man, he and Silas, and they had their backs ripped off. And they're singing praise. Let me tell you something. Fervent Christians will always outwin compromised Christians. These people that think that you got to look a certain way to win people. Get on fire for God and people will be attracted I don't know about you, I needed hard cores to bring me into the kingdom of God. I didn't need like old fogey, stogie, stale, half-compromised Christianity. I didn't need a youth pastor with a mullet. I wanted somebody that I knew that if I got in the fight, that we were going to be a partnership. We're here to win this game. We're here to finish the course with Jesus. And Paul goes on. And I'm going to skip ahead to where he said this. He said, because of my imprisonment, he said some of the other brothers are emboldened to preach. <laughs> what did they see? Nothing shuts him up. You put him in prison. He gets, he gets parchments and he writes. He writes epistles, the prison epistles. He, he wins the imperial guard. He's causing everyone to get saved. And so all of a sudden they said, hey, we're going to keep yapping out on the streets because if we get thrown in jail, we're going to do what Paul did. And Paul also had a habit of doing like this verse where he says, he says, guys, he said, 
verse 20, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I want to tell you something. I get people that are, have their back against the wall for counsel. And I tell them, I say, when you, can, when you can look at the very worst thing that could happen to you through this process and you can be happy there, trust me, we're working in the bonus round. That's the way Paul was. Johnny did a great job of, of describing that. Hey, you kill me? <laughs> I'm with Jesus. I want to go there immediately anyway. You let me live? To live is Christ. I'm going to live in Christ. I'm going to talk Christ. I'm going to spread Christ. I'm going to promote Christ. I'm going to promote Christ at work. I'm going to promote Christ in jail. I'm going to promote Christ while having my back whipped. I'm going to Proclaim Christ? Will people speak evil of me? I'm going to proclaim Christ when I'm betrayed. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful label for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. Hello, plain English, what he means is, is I would rather croak right now and be with Jesus. I've been rolled in a gurney and and, uh, and I'm thinking of Rick, Rick Bennett, you, you know, you just had some medical challenges and a neat miracle. Hallelujah. Neat miracle. But let me tell you, when I'm rolling on a gurney, the first thing I go back to my Pentecostal roots, dear Father, forgive me of all my sins, all of them. And, and you know, and then, and then while, when I'm not dead yet, I, then I preach, I pray more. And Lord, it would be great if I could stay with Kim. And Lord, it would be great if I could, you know, do other things. But on that gurney, the first thing I'm concerned about is I do not want to go to hell. That's why I don't want to be cremated. I don't want to give God any thoughts. I want to be buried. Okay. He said this. He said, I'm hard-pressed between the two. I actually prefer to depart and be with Christ. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. In life and death, Paul's passion was the same, the glory of Christ and the advancement of his kingdom. Christ was Paul's greatest joy and treasure. Paul desired death because that meant he could be with Christ. However, he knew that in his living he could bear more fruit for Christ. As we talked about last week, there is absolutely nothing that you could do to hurt, really, the Apostle Paul. He said, if, 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 if you kill me and it's death, I gain. If uh, you let me live, it's going to be in Christ. We'll increase the kingdom. I'll strengthen the brothers. And, oh, by the way, if I suffer, it's an honor to fulfill the sufferings of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Can you imagine? This is what's going on in, in China. In China, there are whole Bible schools of people who are getting ready to invade the Silk Road, march into the Islamic territory, and these young people are saying, it will be our honor if we're martyred to see the gospel go forth. The, the Russians in martyrdom from the time of the Marxists to 1917 on, they suffered intently, and, and the Russian church, they, they gritted their teeth and said, we'll just endure it. The Chinese took a different stage. No, no, this is an honor. And any honor needs to be greeted with celebration. And they celebrate suffering in China. And let me just tell you, China is getting evangelized like crazy. And I think in America, the reason that there's so much 
unhappiness in the American churches. We want Jesus to be a tool for us to get our American dream rather than we put our American dream to do the gospel dream and find out we end up with good houses. God blesses us anyway. Am I preaching here? So if we were to put a, a, a blank up here, uh, so death is gain, life is Christ, suffering is honor. But see, you're living for something and it may not be the gospel. Let's say it's wealth, acquisition of money and prosperity. Okay, so to live is to make money, to die is what? Loss of that cash. They asked John D. Rockefeller, someone asked John D. Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller's accountant, they said, how much did he leave behind? The accountant said all of it. I want to say this. There are no trailers being yanked behind hearses. There's only a body in there with a nice little suit on or whatever. Okay, what, what is your life thing? How would you fill in the following blank? Okay, would death be gain? I'm, let's say that you're a Christian that basically just is using your Christianity for like help me in this life. But you're not living to spread the gospel. You're not living to, to, to strengthen people. So when you die, the Bible said some people are going to enter, the, they're going to enter heaven uh, as of by fire without a reward. Because everything they built was hood, wood, hay, and stubble. But others who, who live for the gospel, live for the kingdom, they're going to build with gold, silver, precious stones. So fill in the blank of what your life is consisted of. Is it moderate? I'm about one-third in for Jesus, but two-thirds in basically for this, this life. And when I die, will, will I be kind of like, I made it. And, and then all of a sudden you have that moment of, boy, I wish I'd have done more for what really mattered. Just a brief story. Kim and I, we came down here with no promise of anything. And I want to just talk to you about finances. We've been overwhelmed by the financial prosperity God brought us to. We're blown away by the relational prosperity God brought us into. We're blown away by the familial blessing that God brought us into. But watch this. It's because we sold out for the partnership. A lot of pastors would like my position and, and whatever, but they're not willing to say this. You've got to get on that raft and say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to take the sail if I drown. When God sent us to Medford, we didn't know we'd have this building. We didn't know we'd have a great congregation like you. But what we did was we actually went and bought 25 pounds of beans and 25 pounds of rice and some playing cards so that we could have a little bit of recreation and we were just going to be all in for the kingdom. And God from the very beginning began to give us miracles of supply. I understand this. And I understand the temptation in our culture is to fill in the life blank with your own trip. Lord, this is what I'm fixing to do and I'd like you to join if you'd feel privileged to do it. Trust me, that's not how you seek God. So let's say you live for sexual pleasure. So, you know, you're involved in all kinds of sexual things and dysfunction and whatever. Now, to die means all that lust ends. If, you just, if you're gluttonous and all you do is, is you just live to eat, okay, the stomach perishes. What lasts? The kingdom of God. Is my joy in Christ so great that dying would actually be gain? 
an application question. Do I see my living as entirely for advancing the kingdom of God? When this purpose is over, my purpose of living is over as well. Rick Warren, I think, I think Rick Warren, when he did the purpose-driven life, I think he got like a check for $75 million. And he and Kay said, listen, we don't want money to change this. So they kept driving the older car they had. They kept living in the same house. They said, what could we do as a massive offering to God that really will help people and show the love of Jesus? And so they ended up giving $50 million for AIDS research. So all of a sudden, all of these Christ-hating communities were having to bring in the Warrens because of this generous gift that showed the love of God. They went and they took to Saddleback Church and they reimbursed them for every bit of salary they'd ever received. Okay? <laughs> I would say, and Rick gets a lot of persecution. Well, Rick Warren, well, Rick... Rick never, I've met him personally one time. He never claimed to be perfect. He's a lover of God. And he's a pilgrim. That no matter what comes in money, some of the, the most elite people in Southern California in different parts of the world contact Rick because they know he's not like the typical guy after the money. That's not what he's about. If, you, if you're with him, you'll see he wears tennis shoes with no socks. And the same old blue blazer that he got from J.C. Penney. How many of you know we need to see people that aren't out after the buck? We don't need to see someone that smiles in the big old silk diamond shining and then they got bling bling and you know, little old ladies gave you all that money? Because you're saying your ministry's gonna close down if they don't donate? We need more than that. Is my entire life waking, sleeping, living, eating and dying done to the glory and honor of Christ? There's different scriptures that I can't read. Colossians 3, 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. But I'd like to give you a couple of quotes and then we'll bring this thing in for a landing. One's by St. Patrick. Uh, St. Patrick is the patron saint for everybody. The Catholics claim him. Protestants, we can claim him. But literally, Patrick was, was abducted by Irish pirates from the coast of England and he came from a wealthy family. He was taken and he was made a household slave in Ireland and, and his job was to tend the sheep. While tending the sheep he had a born again experience with God and God began to speak to him in dreams and visions. Actually told him the day that there would be a boat waiting to pick him up and, and Patrick after having this transformation in the spirit thinking that he would be pleased to go home he walked to the place the boat was there and he was taken back to England, at which time he said, I can't live for myself. I've got to go back to these bound people. He went back in the space of 30, 40 years. That whole island was rocked. Not with Catholicism, not with Protestantism. They were rocked with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what he said about, about himself. And he said, Christ with me, Christ before me. Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, 
Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. This burns my heart. I got rocked about a month after I turned 16. And I went from being like a second or third string athlete and a funny guy and a good Joe to be around and my, and my high school mates, they began to call me preacher. And then everywhere I've gone when I've worked, they give me the nickname preacher. And that is because I can't live without talking about the one I love. I can't be free and experience this good news and bogart the rest and then hold it out. Man, it's like, whoa, the buffet's open and it's free. Come on in. Everybody in. And sometimes you find out when you're bold, you will be rejected. You will be mocked. You may be beaten. You may lay your life down. But to live is Christ. To die is gain. It is an offer, an honor to preach the gospel. It is an honor to be filled with the vision of heavenly things and not live for these things that the Bible said, if you'll seek me first, I'm going to go ahead and load the back of your pickup up with them anyway. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or rightness, and all these things that the Gentiles are running after, they're fighting over, I'm going to put them in. I'll supply those. I'll supply them better than the flowers, better than the, the birds of the air. The Franciscans quote St. Francis of Assisi. This is what they said about Francis. Francis was always with Jesus. Jesus in his heart. Jesus in his mouth. Jesus in his ears, Jesus in his eyes, Jesus in his hands. He bore Jesus always in his whole body. Paul went on, he said, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ has massive implications for how we live. It changes every word we speak, action we make, every relationship and interaction we have. Is my life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Even amidst great persecution and hardship, we are called to not only live a gospel life, but proclaim and defend this gospel, even at the risk of our very own lives. Am I standing firm for the sake of the gospel? Am I willing to not only be a follower of Christ, but give my life to, to making him known, even if this results in me suffering. We are in the midst of this challenge today is number one. I, I want all of us to go after God with all that we, ha we have. I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at, 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 at people who will They'll love Jesus until there's like a financial offer or there's this offer or that offer. Let me just say this, that, that we need to fulfill the call of God in our lives. That, that not everybody is going gonna, is gonna to be given $75 million for, the, for a book. But the guy that did actually used his money wisely. He's been at the inaugural of several, uh, several of our presidents have had Rick Warren there to pray. Okay. 
And so, so maybe, maybe we're not going to be the, the ones with the money, but we can have the heart of the Philippians. And the Lord spoke to me, and I was sharing that with Kim. Joy thrives above the tithe. Let me just say this. That a lot of times people are like, why are you trying to tax me? Why are you trying to get me to give 10%? No, actually, we're trying to, give you a, to, get, you, to get you to give 100%. To say, I'm all in. I, I, I serve Jesus. And, and, and yet I'm funded. You know, Kim and I landed in Medford, and we didn't, you know, we, we just got open up doors. And, and now it's our joy to, to go way above the tithe. We're, we're above 10% above the tithe now. The tithe is not a question. That was my, that's my license for operating. The Bible is not, the tithing is not giving. The tithing is returning to God the first. And so Kim and I, even in the midst of debt reduction, and, and there was one time where we were just weeks from being completely insolvent from losses that we had. During, at one point, we were borrowing 700 a month to give. And we said, no, we're doubling down on our giving. We will not. Now, I know that principally it was wrong or this, but God honored it. And God has turned that around. But now, like, like for instance, with Circle Youth Ministry, it's our joy after tithing and other offerings and other things that we do, it's our joy to put in 500 a month to save young people. They're not all appreciative. A lot of young people don't know who Kim and I are. They come on Wednesday night. They don't really know who we are. It doesn't matter. I want the gospel to go to them. And so, so it started with, we got, Kim and I got, uh, you know, uh, we felt we were to give a couple thousand dollars and we gave it. And the next year we were saying, what should we do? And and we gave it again, and I think the third year, the Holy Spirit said, how's that working for you? Well, I said, we really like it. He said, good, let's increase it. We have one guy from out of this area that gives 8000 a year. That has nothing to do with his tithe at his home church. He gives 8000 a year for Circle Youth. How many of you know that joy thrives above the tithe? Man, I'm just having headwinds. I'm being buffeted. I just can't make any headway. Right, because you're fighting to just stay at the tithe level. Begin to sow half of 1%. $75 extra a year. Whatever. And watch what happens when, like that eagle, that storm, it lifts. Because when we do what's principal, we get lifted. And way above, did you know it's always sunshiny above the clouds? all over the world, always. And many of us have never, we've always were grubbing to find what, what's the minimum we have to do. The Philippians weren't that way. And so right now, for Kim and I, I think we're up to about 21%. And, and, and we hurt sometimes when we want to give more. Because we just see God giving. Our latest giving was, was uh, the Lord put in our heart. We were to remodel a dormitory out of our big garage. So we had to build an extended garage for storage. We had to, we re-roofed it. And so for about two years, Kim and I take $1,000 a month approximately, just put it into doing that, which is to improve this piece of property so that we could have a dormitory. Our dormitory is completed. It holds like six guys. But it, it just was out of our pocket. It's because, see, when, when, when you're all in, and there's a difference. We all know the difference. I want God to help me so I can keep my hustle going. Or, you know what? I am so over the top, 
Kim and I are at the age where we should be, we, sh we should be downsizing. We should be going to like a, like a two-bedroom condo. Do you know what? We got 4,000 square feet. We said, no, let's double down because we want it to be a place for training. So, t so today, the appeal is not, is not that I need to, for you to write a check today. I would rather have you write a check to God. I would have you join St. Francis and Patrick and the Apostle Paul and the Philippians and every saint and every leader throughout the ages that saw that Moses, Moses could have enjoyed Egypt, said, no, I'm going with my people. Abraham looked for a, a city whose builder and maker was God. This is what I want for, for the people that I have an opportunity to influence. Is It's so schmaltzy and so chintzy and so shallow to find shallow people who only live for themselves. Let me just say this. It's about, it's boring. What's exciting is the partners and, and we're going... All in? Yeah, all in. Let's stand together if we could. One thing about the proclamation of God's word and one thing about being around hardcore Christians, it, it's challenging. Religion makes little ways that we look pretty cool. The Pharisees, they had ways that they'd make a loud noise and they'd give some, some coins to the poor people. But then when you got into hardcore Christianity like Jesus modeled for us, what did that look like? That looked like somebody that said, I love you so much, I'd rather die than live without you. Jesus gave all on the cross. The early church was marked by people who, it wasn't popular to be a Christian, it was risky. But because they saw something in the eternal realm, they said, worth it, worth it. Kim and I don't feel like super duper Christians. We keep going, Lord, as we keep expanding our giving, you keep expanding our receiving. And so every year we have to say, what, Lord? What's, what's the next realm where we can honor you in our living and our dying? This year's and the last couple of years has been focusing on getting the dormitory. We didn't take church money to do that at all. We just set aside about a thousand a month and just did it out of our own, knowing that the guys would pay rent and it'll come back. But that wasn't the motive. The motive is to have a place where young men can get challenged by God and grow up to be the kind of men that we need in our society. Virtuous men, good husbands, good fathers, good leaders. Right now, some of you come in this place and you knew that something was wrong. I just want to assure you there's something really wrong in the world. It's really wrong that a guy would come into a very soft nightclub. It's a place where the kids could go in and down in Thousand Oaks, California, comes in and shoots up 12 people. 28-year-old kid shoots up 12 others and I think he shot himself which made 13. It's, it's a troubled world. Why did America get in such a mess? Oh, because we just turned to ourselves. Americans turned away from God and we turned to ourself. And we keep trying to find meaning when self-serving brings despair and with despair comes violence. The key to the violence is to get people like you and I to quit living for worldly values.
and for us to, to double down on what called us out of darkness. You were called by the power of God. You were called by the appeal of the gospel. You were called by the good news. And if you partner with Jesus, that means this ain't football. We do this every day. We preach. And for those of you that are not Christians yet, I want to welcome you. The heavy lifting and the payment's been made by the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't flog yourself. You can't do anything to be saved except to believe and call on his name. Jesus, the Father, spent heaven's riches and sent the Son. Jesus went to convey away our sins and did it by being forsaken completely at the point of the cross and surrendering up his body and his soul as a sacrifice. And God heard his prayer and the proof that payment was full was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God says this about you. If you put your faith, you will never die. But when your body passes away, you will live on with the Father and your body will be resurrected. How many of you know that's the good news? That's what we get when we put our faith in Jesus. Right now, if you would just bow your head and close your eyes. I want to talk to all of you that have not made this choice yet. I'd like you to just put up your hand and say, man, I, I, I'm hearing you and I, I want that. I want in. I want to be saved. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be forgiven by God. Hallelujah. Real quickly, just put up your hand. I'm looking around. I love to see people get saved. I see that hand. Hallelujah. The Lord hears you. Okay, any other hands? Put up your hand real quick. What you're saying is, hey, I, I need God. I don't understand all of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to say a prayer real quick. Just pray this prayer with me and believe it in your heart. Let's all pray this. Dear Father, I need you. I need your order. I need your peace. I need the Holy Spirit. And I know that my sins have made a way of death. I was born in death, but I need life. I need forgiveness of sins. My sins have separated me from you. But I believe that Jesus paid the price that I could receive freely his gift of salvation. I'm asking you today, Father, hear my cry. You said if I would call on your name, I would not be ashamed. Take away my shame. You also said, if I would call on your name, I would be saved. Save me now, Lord, according to your word. If you'll be my God, I'll be your servant. If you'll be my father, I'll be your child. I receive you today, dear Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.